In the name of the risen Christ, amen. Jump the gun, sorry about that. Good to see uh, some of you here today. I know some of you are streaming in. Uh, we've got several folks here, all masked, all faces covered. Uh, I've taken mine off for preaching, so I'm not mumbling through my mask. Um, but I'll, I'll keep appropriate distance from you all. Uh, the, we're living in weird times, aren't we? I mean, it's very strange. And, and it's not just one thing, it's several things, right? If, if it were simply a pandemic, that would be enough of a burden to carry. If it were simply the economy, that would be enough of a burden. If it were trying to wade our way through racial problems in our country, that in itself would be a large enough burden. But we're carrying all of those. And we're carrying, uh, the world is carrying a burden. It's not just us, not here in this part of Louisiana, not in this state, not in this country. It's worldwide. The pandemic is causing economic issues everywhere. And the issues of race, as it turns out, are quite complex and exist in many cultures. It's huge. It can feel overwhelming. And I find it amazing. I, I can't speak for you, but I will tell you, in the last few months, I've never been more tired in my life. Not tired like I'm overworked physically. Tired like my brain is strained and my heart is heavy. Tired. I think our lessons today speak to that. I think it's important to look at them in their own context and see what was going on for these people in their time and then see how that speaks to us today in our time. Because it's the word of God. It speaks through time if we can hear it. The first reading from Zechariah was written about almost 600 years before Jesus came into the scene in Israel. It, it was written at a very strange time in Israel's history. Things had been going fairly well in Jerusalem until the Babylonians showed up. They, they raised Jerusalem. They took the people away, what we call the Babylonian captivity, and carried them away by force to Babylon, where they had to labor for the Babylonians, where they were clearly second-class people in Babylon. And they were not happy with their plight. And the Babylonians would say to them, come on, Babylon's a great place. It's not like that terrible country you come from out in the middle of the desert. Babylon's a pretty cool place. Look what you have to be grateful for. And there are psalms written about that. There are psalms of the people of Israel saying, how can we sing a new song in a strange land? How can you expect us to, to, to pull out our harps and make music in the midst of this terrible situation? How can you expect that when you have taken us away from our homeland and treated us this way? How can you expect that we are going to rejoice? The people of Israel were not there forever. They were there in Babylon, though, about 70 years. 
70 years of captivity. And at the end of the 70 years, who would have expected that their liberator would not be a, 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 an Israeli freedom fighter, but would be someone who didn't understand or know their God, someone who did not understand or know their culture, someone who wasn't even from their neck of the woods. It was a guy named Cyrus from Persia who was a mighty leader who swept in and took over Babylon. But in doing so, it was Cyrus who looked at these people of Israel and said, what are you doing here? Go home. Go back to Israel. Rebuild your city. Worship your God. And gave some money, even from the treasurer, for the rebuilding of the temple. He said, go. And the people of Israel were freed by this most unexpected liberator. And they headed back to Israel. And that's where we get this story Today in our reading, it's a, it's a song, really. And they went from like, how can we sing a, a new song in a strange land to suddenly being able to break out in song because they're going back to their home where they feel comfort. And they sing, Rejoice, daughter of Zion. Zion, the great mountain in Jerusalem where the temple was built. Daughter of Zion, rejoice. This is a great, happy time. We've been vindicated. We are freed. And we know from the story of Israel that it wasn't that simple. They went back to their land and they found poverty. They found it difficult to build this temple. They knew that it would never match the beauty of Solomon's temple that had been destroyed. And eventually they would come to find that everybody fought over Israel and Jerusalem. It was in the middle of a lot of trading zones. And everybody fought over them from Egypt to, to Greece to the Roman Empire. And eventually we know what would happen when Jesus was there. The Romans will possess it again. So their life was filled with torment, tragedy. And they longed for a liberator. One who would come on the back of a simple donkey. The foal of a colt. And later the people of Israel would see... Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a colt, and they'd say, that's the one. That's what Zechariah was talking about. Here comes our liberator, one of our own people, to bring us into freedom. Paul, his letter to the Romans today is, is one of my favorites because... I hate myself for liking it. It's so human. It's so human. He's basically saying, how come I do all the rotten things I don't want to do? How come? Why is it that the good I do want to do, I don't do? Why is that? I don't know if you can connect with that, but I sure can. Why is it? That sometimes when what I want is courage, I have fear. Why is it that sometimes when I want to express love to the world and the universe, I want to protect my little tribe, whatever it could be. 
Why is it that the very things I know are loving and just and good and right, I have a hard time doing? Why is that? What holds us back? Paul struggled with that through much of his writings. He struggled with that. He didn't know why they had this great law that was given by God but couldn't seem to follow through on it. Couldn't seem to live it out truly. I'm reminded of um, one of my favorite stories in in schooling, which is a test that was given from a university to a a, a whole group of kids on uh, morals. Moral behavior, moral decision-making, choices. And there were a series of tests, and they, these kids all had to check off, you know, in this particular situation, would you choose A, B, C, D? What would you do? The kids were brilliant. They, like, scored, I mean, these, these kids were, like, morally just superior to all of us. They chose all the correct answers, all the things that led to goodness, light, and virtue. These kids, boom, 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 across the board. What the kids didn't know is that the people administering the test were actually looking at how they took a test. And they had cameras in the room. And the kids were cheating like crazy. They were looking at each other's papers and moving them, trying to figure out what was best and all that. They knew what was right. They couldn't do it. That's what Paul's talking about. It's exactly what he's talking about. They were so afraid of failure that they couldn't follow what they knew to be true in their hearts of the right and loving thing to do without cheating. And finally, we come to our gospel passage, which is, uh, you know, Jesus speaking to his disciples and giving them this confusing at least I hope you think it was confusing. This little sing-songy thing he says to them at the very beginning, he, he, he compares them to children in the marketplace singing a song to each other. And he says, you know, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. And then we wailed for you, but you didn't mourn. And Jesus says, you guys are just like that. And I look and go, yep, what does that mean? It turns out, of my, I'm embarrassed to say that of, you know, 30 plus years of preaching this text, I always went with the closing part of the passage. Come unto me, as the old saying was, all ye that travail and are heavy laden. All you who are, who are laboring and are heavy laden. I, I focused on that and I stayed away from this little song. Well, I tracked it down this time for the first time. I actually wanted to find out what was that song. And it turns out it's an Aesop's fable. You see, Aesop had been around hundreds of years before Jesus' time, probably closer to Zechariah, the first reading that we heard. And Aesop wrote all these moral tales. And this particular one is one of his more obscure tales. I, I didn't read this one as a kid, Aesop's fable. This one is about a, a fisherman. And the fisherman could play the flute and played beautifully. And everybody said could play the flute beautifully. And it's kind of like the Pied Piper uh, of Hamlin. And he said, I'll bet if I play this flute, those fish will just swim right up the shore and jump up on shore and surrender. 
And so he sat out and played his flute beautifully. Nothing. He continued to play. Nothing. And finally, he was getting a little mad. Like, he started to blame the fish. Stupid fish. And he got his net out and he threw it in. Took far more many fish than he actually needed. But he was so angry, he pulled all the fish in up the shore and left him there wriggling and wreathing all over the shore till they died. And he said to him, I played the flute for you and you wouldn't dance? You're dancing now. Wow, does that sound like us sometimes, humans. And this is the song that children sang in Jesus' day. We played the flute for you, you wouldn't dance. We wailed for you. You wouldn't mourn. Choose one or the other. Respond. Act somehow. And Jesus says that to his disciples. He said, you know, John came wearing a stinky old smelly camel hair shirt, eating wild locusts and honey, never touched alcohol. He was a Nazarene. His hair was long. He came, he came talking about repentance, and all the downer stuff that makes you all feel so good inside, he talked about that, and you didn't listen. And then the Son of Man came along, and he did kind of the opposite. He spoke about God's love, compassion. He ate and drank with Pharisees, his friends. He hung out with tax collectors. And you said, he's a drunkard and a glutton. Jesus is saying... Which one do you want? Because God is coming to you and you don't want to dance. God is coming to us. And I'm not saying God comes through a pandemic. I don't believe that. Pandemic is a pandemic. Virus is a virus. But our response to that pandemic is where God moves. And I look at the people in our nation and in our world who are fighting desperately to tackle this virus, who are working in our hospitals and trying to take care of us. And how many of us, I'm so glad to see you all with these, how many of us in our country are uh, just kind of bored and don't want to really wear these things? And people are dying for us. And people are risking their lives for us. And I find this a little uncomfortable. We wear these as signs of love. Not signs of fear. I'm not afraid I'm going to get the virus and I wear this. I wear this as a sign of love to show other people that I care about them. That I want to try to protect them. This is our sign. And people in our world want to politicize all this stuff. This is not time for politics. This is time for theology. This is time to pay attention to how God operates in this world and whether we're going to choose to follow or not. And that applies to the pandemic. That applies to our racial issues. I was talking to somebody the other day who said, I don't, I don't want to say black lives matter because all lives matter. I'm going to put it right out there. And I said, really? 
They said, no, Black Lives Matter is a political movement. I don't want to join it. I said, fine. But can you say the lives of black people matter to God? Can I say that? That's where we need to live as Christians. Not in what our political leaders are saying on any side of the aisle, but what Christ is saying, the one who hung out with the poorest. Do you think that Jesus didn't care about the Romans? Jesus loved the Romans. But we know where his heart was. His heart was to lift up those who were downtrodden first, to take care of the poor, to take care of those who were despised, to become one of the despised himself. That's the way God operates in the world. We will be known, our people will be known by how we care for the least in our world, not how we care for the best. Not the ones who are the best off. It's easy to take care of them. They're not despised by God, but they're, they're doing okay. We're to look at the ones who aren't dancing so much, who are mourning a lot more than they should be. And we're called to step in and be Christ's arms in this world, Christ's hands in this world. Not by what we say or by what we think, but by what we do. So I pray this week you all will have the courage to take on something you haven't taken on. Something you've been a little hesitant about stepping into because it's too complicated or you don't want to be thrown into one camp or another. Jesus says, you, you got both camps. Just choose. Take a step. We danced for you. Or we mourn for you. But take a, take a stance. Be of courage. How many times Jesus said, do not be afraid. Be not afraid. Have no fear. It's hard to overcome. But our closing on the gospel today still stands so true. We're to, we're to remember. We're to remember these words. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so, brothers and sisters, Pick up that light burden. Together with Christ, we can manage anything. Amen.